I have been spending so much time lately in my mind uh, bogged down with the issues of this world. Um, I spent probably eight hours last week on one issue, just trying to sort and sift and sort and sift. I have development teams running behind the scenes to try to get at the heart and the truth of a lot of the issues that are facing us. You know, whether it's the refugee situation or the immigrant situation or it's the the challenge with the African-American situation in America, whether or not it's the ministry to the LGBTQ community or it's... And it goes on and on and on. My my heart is big and that means that it that it feels weighed down by a lot of what's going on in the world today. I'm, I'm, I get very frustrated with the division that I see in the body of Christ. It's, it's getting believers to argue with believers. It's having churches go head to head against churches. And, and so that, that stuff is on my heart and I think about it every day. And um, uh, we are moving uh, behind the scenes to advance forward truth and accuracy and starting healthy dialogues and, and trying to have some good conversations so that we might be able to bring transformation in our time frame, in our generation. Uh, however, here's what I need us to do, because I believe that for those of you that have been either watching the news or tied in or talking around the dinner table, um, and, and we, we have these conversations in our house with all our family members, uh, for a moment, what I need you to do is I need you to take all of that, the weight of that, and for right now, for the next 45 minutes, I need you to submit it into the hands of God. And I want you to take your eyes and I want you to lift them up for a moment. And I want you to look at who Jesus is. Because we're about to read one of the most beautiful passages of all time. And I would hate for us to remain down here. We're going to get back there because anything that we look at Jesus needs to have real impact when it comes back to earth, right? But for a moment, I want to have our minds renewed by getting our heads back up into the Lord. To be dwelling on all that God is. Then we will be able to put them back and solve some issues. So for 45 minutes, can you all do that with me? All right, praise God. Let's do that. All right, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this is a weird way to start, right? In a book of Colossians. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. It's page 939. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. We are in part 4 in our Purposeful Christianity series through the book of Colossians, but I have a few different passages I would like to tie together for you. And I want to begin with a gem that can be found in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Almost always, I have never heard, in my experience, I have never heard this passage taught outside of a negative Slant, Because this is a pretty rough passage. If you look at the context, it's about God's wrath and why God handed us over as a, as a people and things like that. So normally, this is viewed as a negative passage. What I'm afraid is that we would have missed this marvelous gem right in the middle of it. And it's going to begin in verse 19. So Romans chapter 1, verse 19. And I just want to begin by saying this, we are surrounded by the work of the Lord. We are surrounded by the presence of God. We are surrounded by marvelous acts of God. All right, so let's take a look at this right here in the middle of this passage. 
Look how beautiful this is. Romans 1.19. What can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to them, meaning to us. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. All right, now every other time this is used and it's linked to a bunch of other stuff for a moment, let's cut all that away. What did he just say? You can see me and you can see what I do by what I've done and what I've made. We are surrounded by the works of the Lord. I want you to allow your mind to drift during this message. That's not new, but I would like you to let your minds drift onto the beauty that God has situated us in. I want you to begin to not look over at the negative, not look over at that which we have broken. I want you to look at that which he is repairing. I want you to look at that which is good. I want you to look at that which is noble and right. And so we are surrounded by the work of the Lord. Everything we engage with is created by God for the purpose of building relationship with us and for his glory. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. This universe is on purpose. This universe is on purpose. We may have disagreements and I welcome the debate in, in the right circumstances with the right heart, man, I welcome the debate of trying to discuss how God created this world. Right? I mean, we can argue everywhere from theistic evolution to six literal days of creation. We could play that game all day long. One thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to side on the, on the side of evolution. And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about theistic evolution. I'm talking about evolution in general because it's based on the premise that God is not. I will not begin there. So I believe that everything that is around us is on purpose. I believe that the stars are in the sky for a reason. I believe that we rotate at the axis that we do for a reason. I believe that there is a future with a purpose and there is a past with a purpose. I believe that we are in an intricate web of the revelation of God. Y'all following me? This is what I believe. Now, having said all of that and have that in mind as a foundation, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it's to the right of from where you were in page 983. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to read through 20, and then I'm going to have you look at one other passage and we'll, we'll tear it apart, all right? Here's the passage we are going to be studying together. Verses 15 through 20. It all speaks of Jesus. Many scholars believe this is a hymn that either Paul wrote or Paul uh, took from somewhere else and commented on it here. It's either a borrowed hymn or a designed hymn, but it was believed in the early church this was something that was done with repetition, most like a poem or a song, and that they would be able to memorize it. So that they knew who Jesus was. All right. Here's what it says. Speaking of him. He, the one that we love above all. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. 
For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, I'd like you to keep your finger there and then turn with me to our last passage is John chapter 1, verse 1. All right, so keep your finger there. Bounce back to the left. We're at page 886. John chapter 1, one of the most famous passages of all time. This is the in the beginning was the word passage, right? What I love about this passage is that Almost all scholars agree that it was written by John. What I love about the fact that it's John is his best friend. It's probably the youngest of all disciples. And he wrote this later on in his life. And he's talking about his best friend who he hung out with, who he laid his head back against his chest, who he saw die right in front of him. As he's reflecting back on it, he's talking about a man that he lived and worked with every day for three years. It is likely believed by many scholars that he was the cousin of Jesus. So it's likely their whole lives were intertwined in their very small communities. And yet this is how he describes his buddy. In the beginning was my friend. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Go to verse 9. The true light, that is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look at verse 14. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. All right. Now this is very poetic and it's deep and all that. Let's go back to the Colossians piece. Right? This is all deep where you're going, man, you know, John, I mean, that was kind of like, that was heavy, man. You could have just, you know, explained it a little bit more. I think at this point, this is where John is going, man, I don't care if he's my best friend or not. I don't care how much study I've done. I don't care how much he talked to me about. This stuff's way over my head. So I'm going to give you what I got. And what I do know is that Jesus is God. Now, when he says something like that and it blows up our minds, this is why I want us to all take our minds for a moment and lift them to the heavens and say, our Jesus 
is king of all, yeah? Our Jesus is king of all. And if that is true, what do we do? We keep our eyes upon him. We do not allow the things of this world to wash over us and make us feel like we're drowning. What is so beautiful about keeping your eyes on Jesus is that you can elevate right out of the water and then you end up walking on water. How do we know that? It happened to Peter. Yeah? We always play this game that there's only one person that ever walked on water. That is incorrect. Yes, Jesus walked on water, but he invited Peter to do the same. So I want to tell you that, yes, Jesus Christ walks above the things of this world. He walks above the things that are going on currently in the United States, and he invites you to come up and walk with him up on top of those things. So let's dive into this idea and tear it apart. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We'll take it very slowly because I want us to have the richness of who we love the most. Study in Jesus is not simply an academic or an intellectual study. Study in Jesus is like a love poem. It's like reading a love letter. It's the person you fell in love with. It's why you're a Christian. Wouldn't you want to know more about that person that you're having a relationship with. That's what this is about. So who is it that you are dedicated to? Who is it that you are in love with? Who is it that you are putting all your faith in? Who is it that is the lover of your soul, right? Y'all following me? All right, good. Verse 15, it begins like this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. That word in Greek is icon. It's the same reason why the copier company named their copier company icon. It means image. It means a picture of or a portrait of or a facsimile of. It means whether it's a a statue and as a representation, the word image is great because it means whatever is real here, that imprint is now on this. It's like a photograph. It's it. All those words are kind of brought up in the idea of icon. Jesus is the icon of the invisible God. He is the perfect representation of God shown in humanity. Now, I want to talk for a second about the idea of three groups and how they look different. There is... Adam and Eve, there's Jesus, and there's us. We are all made in the image of God. But we are not all the same, yeah? And and here's why. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. We were made in the image of God, in His likeness, as representative of Him. They were perfect humanity. Humanity will never be deity. I need us to be very clear on that. There's nothing that says in our faith that one day we will be gods. That is incorrect. That is heresy. But what we do know is that when God made us, especially in Adam and Eve, there was a non-sinful, beautiful representation of what God intended for humanity. It was humanity connected to him. There was no sin block. There was no fear and worry. There was a complete open relationship to where they could engage with their Lord without any concerns. But they still were not God, but they were made in the image of God. We all following that? Then they screwed it up. 
Right? So when they messed it up, and, and, and you can't blame them because they were our champions. If they didn't make it, you wouldn't have made it. Right? I mean, they were the best of us, and they screwed up. So we were all going to screw it up. It didn't matter whether or not it was Rick and Barbara, right? Or any other combo of people. Marianne and Jim. You know, that kind of thing. It was Adam and Eve. Cool. They blew it. And when they blew it, they fell and it sent our world into chaos. It began to distort the beauty of humanity. So when we get to us or regular mankind, we have a great distortion. Our copy machine here at the office breaks down all the time. I think it is in the very nature of copy machines. To break down every day. I think that's what it is. When your copier representative is here more than the pastors. I feel like somewhere there was a bait and switch. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anyway, doesn't matter. So, but what happens is, is periodically you will get distortions. You'll get lines and things like that and on your copies. And you're getting your copies out and they don't look right. Okay, that's what sin did to mess us up. So even though we are made in the image of God and the outline is very clear and some of the beauty is very clear, there is a distortion on the picture. So you have Adam and Eve of one sort. You have us of another sort of the image of God. And then you have Jesus. Now, Jesus is in a separate category because in one sense, he is God. So he's bringing in and representing God in his fullness. That is a whole ballgame we will never do. But Jesus is also full humanity. So he is Adam and Eve all over again. He is the reverse of the curse. He is made by the hand of God, it says. Remember uh, in the Christmas story, it says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and there was a baby in her womb. In other words, God took one of his bare hands and then one of his human hands in Mary and he fashioned together the perfect God-man. Y'all following me? I mean, we're not going to get into that too far. But the bottom line is, Jesus is fully God, fully man. The fully man is the Adam and Eve that never fell. Jesus is that beautiful perfection of humanity. What does it look like when we do it right? What does it look like when you make it all the way through? What does it look like when there's obedience? What does it look like when you reach your potential? What does it look like? That is all seen in Jesus Christ. So in one sense, we see the glory of deity. In the other sense, we see the glory of humanity. He is the icon of the invisible God. Now, one other piece before we move off that verse. What, what do we do with the invisible God thing? Why, why is God invisible? I mean, it would sure make a lot more sense if he wasn't invisible. It'd be a lot easier, right? I mean, there's... You can go into other religions and they have statues of all their gods, right? They're like, oh, this dude looks kind of like an elephant. This guy kind of looks like a fish. This guy, right? Everybody's got their, their little groove, right? So what does God look like? Well, you'll notice God forbid that because he's like, whatever you're going to design, it's going to be less than what I am. So let's not go ahead and wreck it. 
Okay? Anything you're going to do is only going to focus on one part of my nature, and that's not good enough. So let's not do those. What I think is fascinating about all that is that he is invisible because we really don't have eyes to see. We really couldn't handle it. I'm going to suggest to you, and this is debatable among scholars, but I'm going to suggest to you no one has seen the Trinity in all their glory. What I mean by that is I'm saying not angels, not demons, not anybody. As a matter of fact, I believe that the Bible would indicate that there is a curtain around the throne of God in the person of the cherubim. Y'all know what cherubim are? They're these angelic beings that hover around the throne. If you remember how John the Revelator in Revelation, he sees the throne and he starts describing what? Light. He starts describing rainbow. He starts describing beauty and brightness. But there is not a form until what? This lamb that was slain comes into the room. Who's that? Well, that's Jesus. You remember when Moses was called to go to the Hebrew people and lead them out of slavery. And he said, so I need to give the people some type of description of who you are. And God said, well, I'm Yahweh. I am that I am. Well, at some point, Moses wanted more. He said, can I just see you? Can I just see your glory? I need something tangible to hang on to. And, and I think that for a lot of us, we wrestle with that too. God, it's really hard to have a relationship with an invisible person. God, it's really hard when we don't know where to look, right? If you remember in the temple of God, there was that golden box. Remember Harrison Ford was chasing after it in Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> On that golden box where there were cherubim, that God said, I will meet you on the mercy seat, which is on the lid in between the cherubim. Why did he tell him that? Is it because God's like, oh, this place is super comfortable, right? No, there was somewhere to look, right? Yeah, look this direction. Because if you're a priest and you walk in there and you're like, God, and you're constantly spinning, right? That's just ridiculous. So he's like, look right here. We'll talk right here. I'm all over the place, but I want you to focus right here. I think God's invisible because nobody can handle it. So when Moses said, I just want to see you, do you remember what he did? He said, all right, here's what you got, kid. I'm going to walk by, but I need you to go hide in what's like a crevice of a mountain. Like you have to kind of get in there, hang in there. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And once I get past, I'll pull my hand away and you can see my backside. What? He's like, that's all you can handle. Who did he see? We, we have times where Samson's dad says, I've seen God. And the angel didn't correct him. Why? Because that was the second person of the Trinity. He did see God. Who was it? It's always Jesus. Any visible representation or manifestation of God is always the second person of the Trinity. Oh, I thought Jesus was born at the manger. That's absurd. Jesus is all existent. He's always been there. So, no, he didn't start in the manger. No, he didn't start on Christmas. He had tons of stuff going on before that. He is known as what? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he's everything in between. All right. So having said all of that, I just want that richness for a moment to breathe out of the word. He is the icon of an invisible God. 
Now, I love that. It's why we keep falling in love with Jesus and why we struggle sometimes to understand the concept of father. We're pretty good at it, but we're terrible at the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we don't know what he looks like. We don't know what he's totally like. So you have a hard time attaching. It's like you can't stick to him. Right? So the more and more you study the Holy Spirit, just like with the Father, allow Him to describe Himself and suddenly you can build relationship. But what you're not doing is you're not looking at Him. And I think that makes it hard. And so a lot of times we just want to look at Jesus only because He's the one with skin on Him and we can go, oh, I love His beard. <laughs> right? That kind of stuff. All right. Let's pick it up. Still in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's created? No. But when he entered into creation, when he came from the outside, when he entered into our world, he was the most important. Remember, in Hebrew thought, firstborn does not mean firstborn. You're like, I don't really get that. Okay, well, hold on. Who's the firstborn son of Abraham? Ishmael. But who is referred to as the firstborn of God? Isaac. He's not the firstborn. He was the second. What about, let's talk about Joseph. Where was he in the line? But he ended up taking forward the lineage. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible is replete or full of examples of it wasn't the firstborn, but they took the title firstborn. Solomon was the promised child through David. He was not firstborn. David took the title of most preeminent. He was not the firstborn. So in other words, when you look at this, it's talking about rank and title that when Jesus stepped from out of the supernatural dimension into our dimension, he was most important. That's what it means. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In other words, Jesus is the active, powerful, creative power of God that moves out. When God in all his glory of the full trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when God creates, he does through the agent of the word. And that is Jesus Christ. Now this is start getting woo way up here and all that stuff, right? I just need you to know how powerful and amazing and beautiful Jesus is. I can't explain all of it in our limited time, but we'll just get little snippets, right? But this is what I want you to see. This is kind of a fun one. It says, through him all things were created. That makes him the master of the universe. I don't know how many of you remember He-Man. <laughs> Okay, He-Man, by the power of grace, go. You remember all that? Okay, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're blessed. <laughs> anyway, there's a super ripped cartoon character named He-Man, the master of the universe. He's weak sauce, okay, compared to Jesus Christ. All right, so Jesus Christ is the master of all creation. Why is that important? Because when you make it all, you have a personal relationship with it all. Why is that important? When Jesus turns around to the wind and the waves and says, shut it down, what do they do? Yes, sir. Boom. And they drop. When he walks by a fig tree and there's nothing there, boom, curses it and it's gone. Y'all following me? This, when Jesus says to the water, you will support me now, boom, it lifts up and he walks upon the top. This is the master of creation walking among us. 
Boy, I got chills right there. You know what I'm saying? Is that he's the one that talks about mountains moving and everyone goes, oh, what a beautiful metaphor. And he's like, whatever. (laughs) You and your cute metaphors. Trust me, if I say to that mountain, get up, it'll get up. Why? I made it. It does whatever I say. This is the Jesus we worship. This is why when I I talk about the idea that we are the body of Christ and we carry out the power and authority in the name of Jesus. Y'all understand why I think it's a big deal? Because he's the master of the universe. That his word, everything bows for, well, let's keep moving on. All right, I'm getting all crazy now. All right, here we go. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. That means stuff in this dimension and not in this dimension. If we're talking about supernatural stuff, right? Remember, heaven isn't out there. Heaven's in a whole nother dimension and it's coming in here. I mean, there's all that crazy stuff. All I want you to know is that Jesus is a multidimensional creator. That's hardcore, right? We keep moving forward. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The only thing you need to know about that is that what you can perceive is only a tiny part of what he does. So whatever you're praising him for, why don't you throw on 10 times or 100 times that amount and you might start getting at the surface, right? It says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What is he talking about? authorities in this world. Jesus created them all. I just sat down with a young lady who was writing a paper and we did an interview and she was writing a paper and check this out. She chose the topic. I didn't choose the topic. And the topic was demonology, the difference between Islam and Christianity, which is, that's pretty intense for a senior in high school, right? So, so we're, we're, we're talking about all this stuff and what I was explaining to her was that all the demonic and everything else, all the fallen angels, all the angels, those are all created beings. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means that when he walks, all that he has created bows down before him as he parades through the middle. So once again, we keep playing this game. If that is true, what do we do? If that is true, what do we do? If that is true, what do we do? I need you to have your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ, right? That you're not looking at all the other authorities in this world and being wowed. If you're constantly praising God's enemies, there's something wrong with that. Oh man, look how big they are. Oh man, look how tough they are. Oh, look how smart they are. Look how manipulative they are. Look how powerful they are. Look how that. When you keep doing that, that's just diminishing the name of God. I feel like he's going, I'm sorry, who are you talking about? I remember when that wasn't. And I know when that will not be again. You understand what I mean? So all that stuff gets shut down in the presence of Jesus. All right, here we go. Let's keep moving forward. It says, whether visible or invisible or thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's the goal of all creation. What does that mean for us? All of our lives in reality have to draw back to him for it to make sense. 
If you take him out of the picture, everything becomes meaningless. He is the very center of the whole puzzle. So you cannot remove him and have any wisdom. That is why the fear of God is the beginning of putting the pieces together. Right? Okay. And it says, and he is before all things. He is the uncaused cause, the prime mover. And in him, all things hold together. How cool is this? He uses the phrase, in him, all things hold together. He is the glue and the nuclear power of the universe. He is the expression of the laws and the dynamics of our reality. And it is all held together in him like he is the bubble sphere that is around everything that by his very presence, everything hinges together. You take him out and all of reality separates. Now, this is Jesus. This is your Jesus. This is the one that you love. This is the one that you're trusting for your salvation. This is the one that you call out to in the nighttime. This is the one that comes next to you when you weep. This is the one that loves you desperately. This is the mighty king of all creation. Yeah? All right. And then it moves on. It says this. Verse 18, let's make it more personal, bring it down to earth. And he is the head of the body, the church. What do you mean? Well, he's the beginning source. He's the originator. A body detached from the head is gross. So, I mean, there's a lot of transplants going on. You can transplant all kinds of stuff. But when you start pulling the head off... Things get creepy. You understand what I mean? So he's the beginning source. He started the church. He empowers the church. There is no church without Jesus. It also means that he's the head of the thought and plan instigator. He's the director. He's the CEO and the president of the body of Christ. It also means he's the head as the authority. He is the final say that all the church is supposed to do. Everything must be signed off by him. He is the judge. He is the jury in the matters of the church. It also means head as involved he is still intimately attached the body that's us carries out the will of the head meaning that we do what jesus did on earth we carry on the mission as he directs just as if he was visibly present so how can there be disunity there's one body one head I'm not the authority of the church, nor is my counterpart across town, nor are you, nor is the guy on TV, nor is the guy on the radio, nor is the guy in the book that you have on your night table. It is not the woman that just spoke at If Gathering. It is not some of the greatest teachers who are the women of all time. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we must all, all things have to lead back to him. So when the kids argue, dad needs to come in and mom needs to come in and go, whoa, 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 hold on. What are you arguing about? Right? And set it straight. Look at verse 18. This Jesus that we love, he is the beginning 
of the church, the first one to do it, the source of operation. He is the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead? What do you mean? Well, he's the first one to get resurrected? Nope. There were a bunch of people that got resurrected before Jesus. You're like, so I don't understand. How's he firstborn of the dead? Well, remember, firstborn doesn't always mean firstborn. But in this case, it actually does. I'll tell you why. But it also means the most important. He's the firstborn from among the dead because he changed how to die. This is crazy. Okay, so when you died before, if you ever had resurrection, it was a revolving door. Now, some of you make him picture the movie Elf, him going into the revolving door, and you turn around and you come all the way back out, right? And you just keep going around and around and around, and you keep showing back up into the same place. When we die, Lazarus, come out. He had already gone in the door, now he's sweeping around the door, and now, boom, he's right back in our thing, and then what? He dies. So he goes back around the door, and he goes back in again. And it's the only thing wrong with dying once. What's worse than that? Dying twice. What a drag. Oh, I'm dead. They're like, no, you'll probably come back. No, seriously, I think this is one's it. <laughs> Very unconvincing. Nobody gives you any compassion. <laughs> Jesus changed the revolving door into a direct route. He then walked through death and said, here's how you die. You will never die. And he walked through in fullness of life. And he went from glory to greater glory. And now all of his kids follow his pathway. And we all avoid the revolving door. And we walk right into the glory of God. I mean, isn't that awesome? So he is that guy, right? The firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. All roads have to lead to him. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There is nothing left out in Jesus. There is nothing lacking in Jesus. It is not Jesus plus anything. Our salvation is found in him alone. And the fullness of God dwelt there permanently. Now, let me, let me just put one little caveat in here as we close this out. The caveat is this. Paul is not coming up with this stuff randomly. There were some bogus teachings that were going on in the world in that time that were teaching that the creator was not a good guy. Paul's setting the record straight. A lot of this is a systematic attack on the bad teachings that were coming into the Colossian church. So if you ever read one of the letters and go, man, that's random. Why is he talking about that? You're actually reading personal mail to somebody in a situation. So... If you, if you ever look at that and go, well, that's kind of disjointed. No, he's just checking off the list of things people asked him about. Okay, that's why this all works together. All right, let's finish this piece out. Verse 20. This is the most important part. And through him, God reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here's the most important part is reconciliation. Making relationships right. What is all that grandiosity about? Making relationships right. God reconciles all things to himself through Jesus. There was a rift between God and his creation and Jesus made it right. He reconciles 
all things on earth and in heaven. A redemptive plan of bringing harmony to all that God created went into place with Jesus. And he makes peace with all things through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. What does that mean? Through the cross, he fulfilled creation's intent. Through the cross, he forgave sins and canceled the law. Through the cross, he created a new way to become a new creation. Through the cross, he launched eternal life. Through the cross, it goes on and on and on. That was the vehicle to fix it and make it right. If this is true... Jay, can you come on out here? Here's what we're going to do as we close out. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray together as a family because I'm not quite sure all of us have a warm, connected, healthy relationship going on with Jesus right now. So what I want to do is if all that is true, what do we do? First, we glorify God and we say, God, you're marvelous. And I want your heart full with that. I want you to leave this message going, man, he's even more beautiful than I thought. I want you to leave this message with he's more powerful than I thought. I want you to leave this message with he's more involved than I thought. I want you to leave this message with he's more grandiose than I thought. If God made all things for his glory and this whole universe has a purpose of bringing him glory, what's the second purpose? To create relationship with his people. So what if we walk out of here and all of that didn't lead to a better relationship? Kind of a failure. So here's what I want to do. We need to respond to his invitation to have the relationship right. Some of us have never been connected to him ever. This is your first introduction. This is your first invitation. There are some of you that have been invited many times. You have chosen to go your own way. And now's the time the Holy Spirit says, hey, we're not screwing around anymore. Let's do this. So there are some of us that when I talk about reconciliation, you get the whole package for a limited time only. No, that's not true. (laughs) All the forgiveness, all the grace, the owning up to who you are and what you've become and handing that over into the hands of a loving God that knows how to restore all of that. You take your broken life and trade it with Jesus. That That is what some of us need. And then there's some of us that have just simply lost connection. I mean, there's a variety of reasons, right? Why we lost connection with our Jesus. Busyness, distraction. Some of us, like me, I I came into today's message very distracted. Because my head was going into so many intellectual places. I, I, I didn't feel a lot of anything. Maybe that's, maybe that's you, and unfortunately your mind has robbed you and distracted you from Jesus. And you spent all this time thinking about everything else that's wrong and not thinking about Him who is right. Then there's some of us who just need a little boost. 
The reason you're disconnected is that you don't appreciate the fact that relationships take maintenance. You just want to coast and you've drifted and you're not interested in putting in the effort. I'm here as the exhorter to tell you life is deeper than this. What are you doing? Come on, we were made for a purpose. There's some of us that we are disconnected because we're prideful. We think we know better, and so we keep telling God our opinion, and our opinion has disconnected our relationship. There's some of us that are angry at God. You're angry because of perceived disappointment. There's some of us that are disconnected because we're afraid. We think that he would never want us. Hmm. All I care about is that we're not disconnected anymore. So here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to pray. And when I cross and I talk about something that is on your heart, we're all just praying, so this isn't about you and me. This is about you and him. What I want you to do as an action item is when I pray about something that is you, you hold up kind of like when you were in grade school and you knew the answer. Just put up your hand and then you can bring it down. And all you're doing is acknowledging, Lord, that's me. Lord, that's me. Let's pray. Jesus, you are glorious. You are mighty and magnificent. You're the master of all creation. You're the solution to all that we need. You're loving and kind and gentle and tender. You are sweet and wooing. You're full of laughter and joy. You are mighty and strong and you push down the walls. You are the one that is greater than any enemy that stands against us. Jesus, you are worthy not only of our praise, but you are worthy of our love and our relationship. God, right now we need connection with you. Lord Jesus, we are just learning about you. And right now we say yes. We want all that you have for us. That God, we are sorry for what we have become. We are sorry for where we have walked. We are sorry for what we have damaged. We are sorry that we have walked away from your intention. We are sorry that we haven't known you as we should. But today is the day that you sent an invitation into our mailbox. And we're saying yes. Yes to that invitation. Lord, there are some of us right now, God, we are just disconnected. Lord, for some of us, we're just afraid. Our fear has kept us bound and we can't run in the fields with you. We can't play on the play structure you set up. We can't walk the streets that you paved because of fear. Jesus, reconcile us to you. God, there are some of us, we're just proud. We're too proud. We keep thinking it's our idea, our opinion, our way. But today we get it. Reconcile us. Knock us off our high horse. And let us be saved. Jesus, there are some of us that are so angry and disappointed. We don't know what you're doing or why you did it. 
We can't imagine any good outcome from what has occurred. And so we have allowed a divide in our souls. Now we look at you as suspicion. And we walk on the other side of the street. We want to keep our eyes on you. We just don't want to get next to you. Reconcile us, Lord. Reconcile us. God, I just, as a catch-all, I just want to say, if there is any of us in this room that is not walking intimately with you right here, right now, whether it's because of habitual sin, whether it's addiction, whether it is bad choices, whether it is terrible relationships, whether it is confusion, whatever it is, move it in the name of Jesus. Save us, God. Rescue us from ourselves and reconcile and restore our relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Could I have the prayer team come on up here? I'm going to pray real briefly as we close out that this team is anointed to finish the work that God began. There are some of you that need a little bit more time than a prayer at the end. And you need to talk with someone and sort it out. You need to share your heart in order for it to be released. How about we do that right after I say amen. The altar is open. Jesus, here we are. Warts and all, mistakes and all, confusion and all. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can draw us forward. You're the only one that can restore our soul. And so we say to you, yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.